Shana Toba. May it be a good year, a sweet year. May it be a year of health and happiness. And may this coming year not be as exhausting or as consequential as the one in the rearview mirror. Let 5782 be just ordinary. I can't remember a year in which so much happened. I don't even know where to begin. Should I talk about anti-Semitism, hurricanes, January 6th, abortion rights, Israel's ongoing battles on Gaza's border, in the university at Ben and Jerry's, this maddening pandemic that we thought would already be behind us? Should I talk about that? Afghanistan. You know what I would like to say? All of the above. But that, of course, is way too much for one sermon. And actually, it was way too much for one year. But let's turn around, as is my custom, and examine the past. Let's figure out what Jewish lessons we can discern from this painful year. On this Rosh Hashanah, let's focus on the outside world. Let's look at contemporary events because I believe that Judaism offers us help and wisdom and guidance. It offers us answers for how we can make sense of our reeling world. We need our Judaism to offer us a way out of all of these messes. So this morning, let's look out. Let's look back. We begin with the last weeks. This morning, I plan to only tackle just two recent events, the hurricane and the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Tomorrow morning, I will examine abortion rights and Judaism's teachings on that. Hurricane Ida. In case seven inches of rain, streets transformed into rivers, People drowning in their apartments and their cars didn't convince us climate change is real. In case the drought, the plagues, the American West, the Colorado River drying up, forest fires producing so much smoke and toxic fumes that we choke on them here in New York, that didn't convince us climate change has already happened. The weather is changing before our eyes. My phone flashes more alerts for weather emergencies than Instagram DMs. That may actually have more to do with the fact that I'm not in high school, but you get my point. I watch the Weather Channel more than the news. When Ida rolled through my area, my phone wailed with alarms. Tornado warnings, flash flood emergencies. And we should be louding, wailing just as loudly as those sirens. We should not be screaming about what one political party does better than the other. Do you think the weather is partisan? Here is the simple but brutal truth. We can't keep living the way we live and expect we won't pay the price. Sure, my new generator might insulate me from the challenges of the next storm. 
Now if my house loses power once again, and you know it's going to happen with more frequency, then at least I can have heat when this coming winter delivers feet of snow instead of inches. But what about the millions? No, the billions of people who cannot afford such luxuries. Open your heart, Rabbi. Think about others. 70% of New Orleans still did not have electricity by the beginning of this Labor Day weekend. Nearly one in three Americans were affected by a weather disaster this summer. Something has to change. Actually, let's say that better. We have to change because it's up to us. And what does Judaism say about all this? It teaches that we are custodians of the world, that we must care for this big, beautiful, and nourishing divine gift. It also teaches, and this is the most important and fundamental point, the land does not belong to us. We don't own it. The earth is borrowed. We are tenants. We are living on someone else's property. We are living in God's house. That shift is the crucial change we must make in how we view the world. If we start with the premise that this is mine, that I own this plot of land or this piece of property, then it follows that I can do anything I want with it. I can tear down this tree or plant these flowers or enlarge my kitchen or extend my driveway. Now, some might be thinking to themselves, well, first you have to ask the zoning board. But that Long Island reality of town boards for which we go to approvals is not equal to what Judaism says. Our tradition wants us to ask these questions. What do the birds say? What does the land require? What do the animals need? What crops should be grown on Long Island? If the earth is ours, and I mean ours, in the sense of every living thing that God created, the question is not about my wants or my desires, but instead about all of our needs. If we ask not what do I want, but what does the earth need even just a few more times? If we focus less on what do I want, but instead what does God's beautiful, but obviously crumbling house need, then we will be better off. If we ask this question just once a week in the coming year, we will perhaps have brought some measure of healing to this hurt. We have to shift our perspective. Sure, it's about replacing our light bulbs with LED bulbs and maybe, maybe even driving a Tesla or fighting to make sure that more of our power plants are, use renewable energy and advocating our cities have a lot more green spaces to help absorb all of this water or bike lanes to reduce car pollution. It is about working to reduce our carbon footprint. Of course it is. And I'm proud that this sanctuary is only illuminated by LED bulbs, but we need to do more. At this juncture, it needs to be a daily shift. 
or at the very least a weekly change. No amount of sand can save our beaches from the encroaching sea. On the east coast, there will be too much water, and on the west, too little. So here is a rather unpopular suggestion. Eat less meat. Meat production uses far too many resources. Look to the Colorado River. Scientists suggest that if Americans avoid meat one day each week, they could save an amount of water equivalent to the entire flow of the Colorado each year. And that would be more than enough to alleviate the shortage, the shortages the West is now experiencing. Believe me, I love a good steak. I especially love brisket and chicken soup this time of year. Of course I recognize that a weekly Beyond Burger is not going to save the Earth. But we have to stop thinking that way. We have to stop saying, it's too big for me to fix. Instead, we should be asking, how do we shift our perspective? Buy as much local fruits and vegetables as possible. Try to skip the blueberries in the winter and only buy them when they are in season in the Northeast. Savor the local melons you can buy at this time of year. Buy eggs at the farmer's markets. If the answer to our children's desperate plea for ice cream when they discover that there is none left in the freezer is to say, wait, I'll be right back. And then we jump into the car and run out to the supermarket to get that pint of Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, and probably Ralph's would be better. Instead of saying, I already went to the store this week. It will have to wait till the next shopping trip. If my answer to forgetting one small item on my recent Amazon order is to order it anyway because I have Prime and the shipping is free, instead of waiting at least to combine it with other items, then I have not really shifted my perspective. Just because the shipping is free and I am not charged for it does not mean there is no cost. It's not just about my dollars. It is instead about figuring out how we can better live in this beautiful and wonderful world that God created for all of us, for every living being. It's not just about me and what I want right now. Everything depends on shifting our perspective. Number two, we also have to change our perspective when it comes to the war on terror. And so this brings me to our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Let me say this clearly. I am ashamed of our withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's not that I disagree with the decision to withdraw. Sadly, we failed to accomplish all of our lofty goals, save the original mission of taking the fight to those who attacked us on 9-11. I disagree instead with how we withdrew. We abandoned people who staked their lives on American idealism, who risked life and limb 
fighting alongside American soldiers. And that is not how we should do things. President Biden deserves credit for finally ending the war in Afghanistan, but he also deserves blame for how we left. Why was it so hard? Change the deadline. Why did we not extend the date for the troop withdrawal by months if need be, until every one of those patriots who earned the right to be called an American, if for no other reason than they fought alongside us and supported us, was brought here so that they could build the American lives they dreamed about creating. When the Torah speaks about the stranger and loving the stranger, it is talking about such people. It is talking about people who want to be part of our community, or in this case, people who so believe in what our country stands for, they fought to become one of us. Leadership is about owning the successes and even more importantly, the failures. It is about admitting that we place too much faith in technology and machines, in armaments and troop numbers. Rather than approaching Afghan culture with humility, we failed. And it pains me to say that out loud. It angers me that the Taliban will now almost certainly prevent women from going to school and persecute others that they deem non-believers. I still believe with all my heart that democracy, however flawed, is the best system of governing. But we haven't learned yet that it can no longer be imposed by armies. Democracy has to be what Afghanistan builds for itself. Sure, with our help and assistance, I still believe that there are plenty of Afghans who want democracy and many who wanted to come here to experience that. And we, to our shame, left them at the airport, literally. And we abandoned our calling. We reneged on our ideals. This does not mean we should not have gone to Afghanistan in the first place. We sent our soldiers there to root out the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11 and the Taliban who gave them safe refuge. We have every right, every right, to attack those enemies who are bent on our destruction, who stay up late at night planning ways to kill Americans. But then our idealism blinded us, and it blinded me as well, and we lost our way. What does Judaism have to say about all this? Our tradition argues that a war fought in self-defense is a milchemet mitzvah, an obligatory war. That does not mean you can do whatever you want when fighting wars. That does not mean that every single battle is righteous. Our self-avowed enemies are human beings in our tradition's eyes and must remain so in our eyes as well. Fighting with drones, fighting from afar, blinds us to this fact. But the tragic mistake we made from the very beginning, and that caused us most to lose our way, was calling all of this 
the war on terror. Words matter. They have consequences. And if we are really honest with ourselves about who we are fighting against, then, if, if sorry, if we are not honest with ourselves about who we are fighting against, then we cannot win the war. It should be painfully obvious who we are fighting. There are people who describe themselves as our enemies. We went to Afghanistan to make war against Al-Qaeda, and we continue to fight against Islamic militants. So let me state what should be obvious. Our war is not with Islam, with the millions of Muslims who find great spiritual truths in that faith, but with those fundamentalists who see the destruction of everyone and anyone who does not believe or act as they do as their religion's purpose. Our 20-year war was with fundamentalism in general and Islamic fundamentalism in particular. Language matters. We were confused at the beginning about who we were fighting against and what we were fighting for. And so we are confused in the end. So here is another unpopular observation. You cannot fight a war on terror with armies. That battle, that battle can only be fought in our hearts. Terror and fear are matters of the heart. And no surgical strikes, because there really is no such thing in war, or acceptable collateral damage, again, there is no such thing when human beings are killed, will assuage a fearful heart. No amount of troop deployments will safeguard us against terror. Against terrorists, yes. Against terror, no. Only, only, proper faith can do that. Again, this is about shifting our perspective. It is about naming things in the right way, and that is up to us, each and every one of us. It is not up to our political leaders, it is up to us. Soldiers cannot fight our battles of the heart. Armies are supposed to protect us against those enemies who rise up against us, and that has not changed since the Bible. Faith is meant to strengthen our hearts so that we can face any terror. This has also not changed since the Bible. In the Psalms, King David declares, Should an army besiege me, my heart would have no fear. Lo yirali be. Should war beset me, still will I be confident. Vizota ni votea. The shields we truly need to protect us are those that we wrap around our hearts. When we do that right, we will not be afraid. Then no one can terrify us. When our armies know who they are fighting against and our hearts know what they are protecting us against, nothing can defeat us. Get that right and we will win any struggle. It is up to us. It's not up to President Biden or former President Trump. It is in our hands. And you don't want to know where that starts. You know how we are going to start fixing these messes and pulling ourselves 
out of these disasters, first things first, change our perspective and say this far and no farther. I'm going to go and do things differently. It's going to change with me. It's not about what I want, but what the world needs. It's not about what my leaders say, but more importantly, what I hold in my heart. The Talmud asks, what does a person ask when he or she arrives in heaven? And among those questions is the following. Did you have hope for redemption? Did you have hope for the future? Jews must never lose hope. As hard as it is, we have to hold on to hope. And this year, our hope starts with changing our perspective. Look at those wars overseas and say instead, how do I continue the fight within me? Look at the world not as how many pieces do I own, but what does the world need from me? And then we can look up from this exhausting year with a measure of renewed hope and renewed strength. We will have gained a strengthened heart and a changed perspective. The world depends on it. The earth depends on us. May it be God's way.